Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Mark Archer and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode in season two of the House Culture podcast. I'm your host and the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. Feels great to be talking to you live and direct and providing a taste of much missed clubland for your ears. Stay strong people, we will all dance together again one day soon. We've had loads of fantastic feedback for this second season, so I want to say thank you to everyone who has got in touch and wished us well. Please do so if you haven't already. During this season, we have featured chats with the legendary Norman Cook, Ibethan icon Dawn Hindle, DJ and Colossus Tall Paul, Melon Bomber Scott Gray, DJ Magazine's only ever number one female DJ Smoking Joe, Grammy-nominated producer The Scumfrog, Express 2 alumni Ashley Beadle, and one of the godfathers of the house music scene, Danny Rampling. What a selection that is! And as we move into the second half of season two, we promise to deliver even more top quality interviews with iconic characters from the scene. And if you haven't done so already, don't be afraid to get yourself some dusty digital fingers by digging through our equally impressive back catalogue from season one. In there, you'll find conversations with scenesters such as Danny Clockwork, Brandon Block, Terry Farley and Gordon Mack. Also, if you've only just discovered this podcast and are wondering what house culture is all about, our credo is that we are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beats to celebrate the spirit of house music. We're on Instagram at housecultureNet, so come join us on the virtual dance floor there and we can come together to revel in all things related to this beautiful scene. Let's get moving with this latest episode, shall we? In this one, we chat to the man best known for being behind the mask and cheeky old school rave outfit alternate. It's Mark Archer. We discover what the inspiration was for him to start making the music he did. There was a night on a Tuesday night and he could wear a smiley t-shirt, trainers and jeans. And it was just acid house all night. Smoke, strobes, drapes and everything. It just, it was, this is what we want to do. Where the name Alternate came from? What's the name of it? So we're like, oh, we'll call it Alienate. Label phoned us to say, oh, we've got the finished copies in. Opened the box, pulled it out and it's, there's Alternate on the top. What it was like meeting the Belleville Three in Detroit back in the day. Went over and met Derek, Kevin and one, and I was just like head blown. Kevin's house was actually in the same apartment block and you're there like playing a Nintendo game with Kevin Saunderson and just like, what is going on? And the feelings you get when playing your own music to a huge upfrit crowd. It's ace the buzz you get when you're DJing. But when you're playing live and it's just your music, you know, there's a massive warehouse with over 10,000 people in. Everyone in here is dancing to something I've made. Absolutely blows your head. Now as you're here, this chat was recorded just before Mark took to the decks for his debut appearance at Fabric earlier this year, long before any kind of lockdown came into effect. So watch your bass bins, I'm telling you, this is Mark Archer. 
cross culture. Perfect. Right, should we jump in? Yeah. Um, hi, Mark. You're right. You're right. Um, it's an honour to have you on the House Culture Podcast. Thank you, Thank you for joining us. Um, you're a true acid house hero, the man behind the mask in uh, legendary rave outfit alternate, and you're also keeping that old school vibe well and truly alive. However, we always like to start at the beginning and kind of ask you, right. where did your love of music kind of first come from? We always had the radio on, mum and dad, always, especially my dad, really. He was he was mad into music. So the radio was always on. So I, I kind of liked everything that was on. So at that point, I probably had quite a broad taste in music. But there was the odd bit towards the end of the 70s that kind of stood out a bit more, you know, the, than others. But I only really thought about this, you know, recently when, when we did the book. Yeah. Um, you know, you start thinking about why did I like that and when did I start to like this? So it's probably like disco stuff and then really early hip-hop, like Grandmaster Flash, The Message and, and bits like that. Yeah. And then I think I was probably about eight or nine and we moved um, from a really tiny little village where I was born and where we grew up to another small village, but you had to like heavy metal or you'd get beaten up. Right, OK. Pretty much. Um, so I, I had a brief spate with, with heavy metal when I was uh, uh, around nine or ten. No way. Um, and then the the two-tone scar thing came in. And yeah. I was in, into that. And it was basically, if, if I liked a song, you know, it didn't matter what it was. But I guess it was when early, like, Electro came out that, yeah. that I finally got into, you know, one kind of music and really followed that. But up until that point, you know, it was dancing about a bit. Yeah, and you said you always had the radio on, so that kind of early Electro sound, where were you kind of discovering that and how did you first kind of hear um, that stuff? I mean, apart from the bits that got played on the radio, like... Um, like Rapper's Delight um, and The Message. Yeah. There wasn't any, you know, like underground radio stations that I listened to. I was probably a bit, bit young for that kind of thing. So it was only really when I was at school. And there was a lad actually uh, called Sean Lester. Okay. And he came into school uh, with his, his sports bag with names of groups written all over them. Mm. And I thought it was some kind of goth thing. Uh, and he said, oh, no, it's this new stuff called Electro. And that, then the, like, Electro series on, on Street Sounds yeah. came out and started collecting those. Yeah. Um, so apart from, you know, hearing the bits on radio, it was probably Sean Lester who, you know, really showed me that there was, there was quite a bit of a, a thing going on. Thank you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned those albums, those Street Sound albums. Um, we interviewed Greg Wilson as well. I think he compiled oh, really? one of the, those. The UK, the UK one, yeah. yeah. And I've heard so many people talk about, uh, so many different people in the music industry now talk about those albums and say how you know incredible they yeah. were. And you still listen to them now, and they're great compilations. Oh, totally. I mean, I didn't even know about the concept of mixing mm. when I first heard those. I had no idea how it went from one song to another, you know, and completely blended. Yeah. And even when you listen back to them now, some of the editing and mixing on it, you know, even though they were done in like 83, yeah. it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I suppose you were getting hold of those. Were you buying records and how did that kind of come about in terms of you? Um, I mean, with the electric what came, things, what came first, kind of the passion for DJing or mu music production? or it, it, was, it was the love of the music. First, I was buying them on cassette, really. Yeah. Probably because I didn't, I didn't want the records to scratch, okay. which you know they they can do, and then it's it's ruined. Where with a, with a tape, you know, unless you get a crap tape player and it chews it up, yeah, you, you're pretty pretty safe with them. So I got most of the electros on on cassette, and then when I learned the concept of mixing, I got just like a single deck, no pitch control, and I'd put a, a tape in a cassette player play one track and then with my finger sped the record up or slowed it down to yeah. get it in time with the track that was playing on so that was Incredible. like the start of me learning yeah. how to mix really yeah um so i was pretty young when i started i was gonna say so was that before you were going into any clubs or anything oh yeah like that? Yeah, yeah. Way, way before yeah way before then yeah. yeah so you hadn't i suppose even at that point you hadn't even really kind of witnessed someone in the mix so to speak no you know, no you kind of just i think doing it. greg wilson was he'd been on well, yeah he, he was on tv and then they um they had herbie hancock on 
think it was the tube. Yes, yeah. Um, when he did uh, Rocket, and yep. the drum mixer DST was on there, and it's like, no way, that's how you do it. Because <laughs> loads of people had grabbed the head shell and like rubbed it across the record, and, yeah, yeah, you know, to make the noise. So it was only when you learned, you saw someone do it, and then learned how to to scratch, and then it was like trying to learn that not knowing that you had to have a slip map underneath the record. So I ruined the B-side of so many records. Yeah, I think it's the whole generation of people that have done that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, flattened the grooves on them. I suppose, so was there a light bulb moment where you were like, okay, I want to start making this stuff myself? Or From listening to the electro um, records, there were certain things on the tunes that I didn't know how they did it. There's one one record in particular by the Imperial Brothers called We Come to Rock, and it and it's got like a cough sampled in it, but it's quite high up and plays a bit of a tune. So okay. I always wondered how how did they do it? Yeah, and I mean I was probably like fifteen, sixteen, and I saw a Casio SK One sampler in in the window at Dixon's. Mm-hmm. It was there for quite a while, and I kept mentioning it to my dad, and in the end. He said he'd lend me the money, obviously I'd have to pay him back. He's got this sampler and it was, you pressed the button, said something into it, and then you could play it up and down the keys. So I found the cough on its own, held it by the speaker, sampled the cough, worked out how they did it. And that yeah. was yeah, I, that was the, the whole reason why I got it, just to work out, oh, no way, that's how they do it. Yeah. So there was no plan in like, making music at all. Yeah, it's just, I suppose, yeah, just fun, isn't it, yeah. at that point? It yeah, was, it, no real just, plan. just a bit of curiosity. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until I bumped into a guy who, who I'd known from the breakdancing days who he'd got a pair of decks. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, oh, why don't you come around mine sometime? It, somehow people heard that I got this keyboard. They obviously thought it was a lot better than it was. <laughs> but he said, oh, bring, bring that round. Yeah. And that's how we, we started making music. Yeah, yeah. Just, just as a laugh kind of thing. And what um, did, did you start off making kind of hip-hop records? It was the kind of intention. We liked like house and hip-hop, mm. so we didn't want to do just one kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, we wanted to make Acid House when we first got signed to a record label. But when we, we got signed by this label, total fluke. And bomb, I think it was Bomb the Bass was in the charts. Yeah. And, and the, the bloke who owned the studio, it was a bit of a... It was an old Northern Soul DJ... And he was chasing a hit record. So if if there was a certain kind of music in the charts, that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. You know, rather than try and do something new, it was always so many months behind what was actually going on. So on our on this demo tape that we'd done, there was a bit of a, a cut up scratch thing, and he was like, "Right, I want you to do that." So the first track that we ever made wasn't wasn't something that we were aiming for really. Mm. It was more what he wanted, and we were just trying to you know. We, we've been signed by a label, we can't say no. Yeah. Yeah, so... And it's, it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, was it? Yeah, yeah. Some people like it, which is really bizarre, because when I listen to it, I cringe. It's, yeah. yeah is, it, is it out there available? Is, is it, I, suppose, yeah, on I mean, it's on, it's on YouTube, yeah. um, and it's probably in some long-forgotten bargain bin somewhere. What's it called? It, it's called So Damn Tough by yeah. Rhythm Mode D. Brilliant. I'll seek yeah. it out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, please. Um, and then, so what came next? Well, me, um, me and Dean, who I knew from the breakdancing days, we started, we're, we're doing the Rhythm Mode D thing, and then the studio owner finally let us do some Acid House. So we decided to do, <clears throat> I think it was like six tracks, yeah. but make them by different names. So it looked like a compilation album. Okay. So we came out with like six totally different names, did this album... Never knew whether anything was selling or you know whether anyone liked it kind of thing, and that was like towards the tail end of of eighty eight. Then we thought we'd do something that's kind of like um, a bit more technoy, a bit more Mister like a Mister Fingers kind mm-hmm. of vibe. Uh, so we came up with the name Bizarre Inc. Yeah, and did an album, and then one of the tracks off the album we were going to release as a as a single. So did a hip house tune on the B side, which was um, the first ever Bizarre Inc. release. Yeah, um, and it got to number one hundred in the charts, which <laughs> was like, well, brilliant. Um, and then I got kicked out of the studio. Oh. yeah. Um, the other guy wanted to go solo. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, and and I got booted out. Oh no. 
So, and we, we were working at the studio as engineers at that point. So right. I was I was on the doll for yeah. for a bit. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you you mentioned about um, you finally got to be able to do some kind of acid house stuff. What was the inspiration there? Were you going to parties and things like that in and around? There was um, you living? there was a night in Stoke mm. called Frenzy, and before before this night, the clubs that you go to would be. Like your, your Sharon and Tracy club on a Saturday night, you know, where they play a bit of chart music, a bit of indie, a bit of dance kind of thing. You had to wear shirt, tie, shoes, trousers, you know, just, I mean, it still goes on now. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was a night, I think it was on a Tuesday night, and you could wear a smiley T-shirt, trainers and jeans. And it was just acid house all night. Mm. Uh, smoke, loads of smoke. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. Strobes, yeah. drapes and everything. It just turned everything completely upside down it's like i mean we'd already heard you know acid house we were collecting records and stuff but it was this is what we want to do yeah um you know we kept pestering the the studio and, and he, in the end he le- even though we didn't have a 303 we used every old synth we could find with loads of knobs on and try and make an acid noise you know and, yeah. and some people quite like the album so yeah. yeah, it did all right. <laughs> it's like that punk aesthetic, isn't it, where people are just grabbing all this stuff, not really using it so, for its yeah. right the right things that it's meant to be used for. I mean, he, <clears throat> there was a bloke called James Hamilton who used to write for Record Mirror, and he coined the, the term acid because it wasn't technically acid house from Chicago. It was someone trying to make acid, but not quite getting there, but he was on the yeah. right lines. So. Yeah, yeah. And so you're being influenced at this stage um, by like the Mr. Fingers type, that kind of Detroit kind yeah, of sound. The, the Detroit and the Chicago. Yeah. And didn't you go out to Detroit to record some of this stuff? Well, we were signed to Blue Chip, which was this label in, in Stafford. Did the Bizarre Inc. thing, um, left it a couple of months and then phoned the studio and said, I've got an idea for a, a techno album. And the, the bloke who around the studio said, oh, you, you, you're going to have to work with this guy because he can play keyboards and you can't. So had the studio for like a couple of weeks and recorded the first Nexus 21 album. Yeah. Um, did, uh, we probably did like a couple of techno remixes for the label, Blue Chip, and then towards the end of 89, the label and the studio went bump. Mm. Uh, I mean, Stafford's not a massively musical place so there wasn't a lot they were relying on bands coming into the studio to book studio time and it was empty all the time you know we were just in there making demos and stuff no way just playing around yeah yeah you know massive mixing desk and putting a silly voice effect on a microphone and filling a whole tape full of it just you know what you do when you're 19 yeah um so that i thought that was it you know the end of the musical career you know Mm. we've done done the Nexus 21 album. And then I started going to a little club near Cannock and got talking to the, the the DJ there. And I always used to take a copy of the Nexus 21 first release, the, the single. Yeah. Anywhere I went, I'd take a copy, you know, see if, if give the DJ a copy. And he pulled it out of his box. He'd already bought it. It was like, no way. <laughs> um, so I got talking to him over the next few weeks. And he one week he said that the blokes who ran... Cool Cat Records, which is a, a label from Birmingham, they're starting a new label called Network, mm. um, and they've asked him to be the A and R guy there. And then the, the, I think it was a week, week or two after, went up to chat to him again. He said, "Oh, the bloke who runs the labels over there by the bar. Why don't you go have have a word?" So when I spoke to him, he said, "Oh yeah, Nexus Twenty One. We've got your album at mm. the office. Uh, we were going to try and get in contact with you about signing to this new label." Oh, wow. So it's pure pure yeah. luck again. Yeah. Signed to them at the beginning of 1990, and by April they'd, they'd sent us out to do Detroit, which was you know the the massive inspiration for what we were doing. So yeah. it was all a bit all a bit surreal. I bet it was. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Uh, what was it like out there during that period? Did you see much of the city? Not not loads. I mean, it was just you know we we got there, stayed in one motel for one one evening. It was a bit ropey. Moved to another hotel the next day. Went over and met Derek, Kevin, and one. And I was just like, wow, head blown. You know, absolutely speechless. You know, the, the three guys who were the reason why I was was doing the Nexus Twenty One thing. Um, and then you, you, 
Kevin's house was actually in the same apartment block, and you're there like playing a Nintendo game with Kevin Saunderson and just like, what is what is going on? <laughs> you know, it was, it was all like really weird having a uh, having a barbecue at Derek May's house and. You know, watching him mix a track down, you know, like yeah. live. We were sat in the studio and watching him doing it. It's absolute goosebumps. Oh, I was going to say, I bet yeah. it was inspiring. Yeah. Just, yeah. You're seeing the people who actually invented that kind of music, yeah. you know, doing it there. And you think, what I'm doing is just not a patch on this. <laughs> you know, it's like, need, need to up my game. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Stop messing around with these samples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if... Um, and I suppose, so where does kind of alternate fall into our, it's post-Nexus 21, where does that fit in? The, the label in Stafford, mm. um, towards the end, we'd said, look, we'd, we've not received any money off any of the records we'd done. I mean, I'd done about four or five albums under different names. Um, we've not seen a, a penny for anything at all. And the, the bloke said, well... The, the studio is supposed to be closed. I'm not supposed to be doing this, but here's the keys. You know, yeah, have a week's studio time. Wow. You know, as, as a bit of payment. And me and Chris went in the studio to work on some more tracks. Not, a, a, you know, like a, a definite idea that I had with the Nexus 21 album. It was just record, a, a, you know, as much as we could in that, that time. We did about nine tracks in total. But because I've been going out to like different raves and stuff, there was a wider um, inspiration yeah. to the music. So it didn't sound just like Detroit techno. But they just sat on DAT for a bit. And when we signed to Network, we gave them all the Nexus 21 stuff. And they said, have you got any other material? And they said, well, there's the CNM connection thing, which was like an Italian piano thing. Yeah. Um, and there's this DAT. It's quite varied. And they said, you could tell it's by the guys who did Nexus 21, but, you know, it's 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 different. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's the name of it? And Chris had been at school, he'd been in um, a rock band called Alienate. So we're like, oh, we'll call it Alienate mm. sound. So they said, oh, really like it. We'll press it up. Eight tracks, one 12 inch. We won't promo it. We'll just go with the eight tracks. Bit like the uh, Musto and Bones, Looney Tunes kind of thing, mm-hmm. where DJs will or buy it purely on its value for money yeah. rather than getting, you know, like one track and a, a crappy B-side. You're getting eight tracks, you know, that will all stand up. Yeah. Um, they found, the la- label phoned us to say, oh, we've got the, the finished copies in. Drove down to Birmingham from Stafford, opened the box, pulled it out, and there's a big sticker. It says alternate on the top. <laughs> like, um, it's supposed to say alienate. Oh, no. And they said, oh, well, it's a bit late now. We've all, all, you know, all the sleeves, stickers, everything's printed. We can't, can't change it now. So that yeah. was that was the accident number one. Yeah, really, with the uh, with alternate, and a lot of it was purely by accident, mm. um, and that sold on the fact that there was eight tracks. Yeah. So it, it it wasn't supposed to be a project that we were gonna oh you know we're gonna do a follow up. We'd just done those nine tracks in the studio t- to use up the, the time, and because that sold quite well, they said oh you need to do a, a follow up eventually. Mm. Um, which was ended up being infiltrate. Yeah, I mean those tracks as well. It's like they're quite famous. I mean, you're saying you've been over in Detroit with those guys, and there was you know you're sampling some of their work in that alternate tracks as oh, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to ask you actually, where does the sample for what's your bass bins at the beginning of infiltrate? Where's that come from? Well, that's a it's a it's a bit of a spooky one actually. We were doing live PA's as Nexus Twenty One. Mm. Um, and we were booked to play at Shelley's, and this was in March 1991. And we'd set all the gear up before the night started. Um, and I w- if we weren't doing a PA or whatever, I was always in Shelley's every weekend. It's either there or the Eclipse in Coventry. Yeah. Um, so I stood there with a, a long sleeve T-shirt with Nexus 21 in big white letters on the front. And this lad comes over and goes, are you with Nexus 21? Yeah, my mates love your stuff. Hold on there, I'll go and get them. Now, a mate of mine from Stafford was at university in Sheffield, and he'd been sending me tapes back of a pirate radio station, Sheffield Community Radio. Yeah. And on this one tape, they'd done the adverts, and it was like the the local uh, Afro-Caribbean hairdressers, and this dance is going on there. and, And then he was about to play a tune that starts with sub bass. So there's two DJs, Asterix and Space. 
and Asterix says, yeah, check this next track out. You've got Asterix in space. Watch your bass bins, I'm telling you. Then played this tune. When I heard it, I thought, because it was completely clean, no yeah. music behind it. That's a brilliant intro for a tune. So we were in the studio on a Wednesday night and we'd been booked to do a remix. And we did this remix and we'd still got like a few hours left. So we thought, we'll start a track. Break beats, acid, bass, big heavy bass line. Yeah. And we used that intro. That Saturday was the gig, the Nexus 21 gig. Right. So like three, four days later, we're in, in Chelly's. The lad comes back with his two mates. This is Asterix in Space. Oh, no way. They're DJs from Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible yeah absolutely yeah. mental wow yeah wow and um the alternate look it's obviously it's almost iconic now you could say yeah it's a big big mistake <laughs> yeah. another accident where did where did that where did the idea for that come from and how much you regret those wearing uh, well, hot, hot boiler suits yeah, yeah didn't didn't think it through at all i mean again just like alternate wasn't you know, a planned project. There mm. was no, right, we need an image and we need this. Yeah. We were already doing live PAs as Nexus 21. And we played at the Eclipse. Uh, there was a, a Warp Records, Network Records tour. So it was like LFO, Nightmares and Wax, Rhythmatic and Nexus 21. So we played there and there was me with a, an X stand with the 909 808 on and I had a sampler underneath it. And... Chris and he had a, an Ensonic SQ80 and a Casio CZ1000 and that was our live setup and then we got booked because Infiltrate was on promo and it was it was doing quite well mm. so we got a gig at the Eclipse again and I thought we're going to look exactly the same not realising that most of the crowd aren't going to even <laughs> be aware anyone's on stage yeah. I thought people are going to feel a bit conned mm. so we need to cover ourselves up a bit and my brother was in the RAF at the time and I said to him have you got anything that we can cover ourselves up with I've got these two NBC suits in the wardrobe um, vacuum packed chemical warfare things cut those open cut all the charcoal out because of how heavy they were yeah. so that took ages there's a little flap on the front that I thought oh that was right alternate on that so I, I actually coloured it in with Tipex and got a highlighter pen made it fluorescent and then did the outline in black so it said alternate. Because um, we weren't planning on doing any more alternate gigs, it was just this one and that, yeah. you know, we thought that'd be it. If you ever pull a hood up and pull the things to cover up as much as your face, you, you look a prize turnip. Yeah. So thought we'll get a mask, cover the rest of our face up. And because I like the whole acid house thing with the, the fluorescent, paint that, put an eye on it for alternate, that was it. Yeah. And it stuck. <laughs> I mean, the first four or five gigs that we did, we didn't even wash the suits because we thought each gig was going to be the last. Yeah. And then it's like, we're going to have to get these embroidered because when we washed them, all the Tipex came off. <laughs> um, my mask got sat on at a gig at the Hacienda. Mm. Um, so it, it was sent off to be photographed and that's the one that's on the the album oh yeah okay. um so if you look carefully at the original album there's a big crack down the nose because you have to paint them for them to go hard otherwise they squash when you breathe and the the, the whole suit thing just people were then this is your look yeah you know you can tell it's alternate straight away and people didn't even seem to realize that there is two actual people in there when you see them that's alternate yeah they didn't realise, you know, oh, that's Mark and that's Chris. Yeah, sure. Kind of thing. I mean, he, we, we hung around with Dream Frequency for like a week at a gig. And it was only when I put the suit on, he was like, no way, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what was the kind of reaction to um, those live gigs? And, you know, was was it an incredible moment? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's... He, it's ace the buzz you get when you're DJing. Mm. But when you're playing live and it's just your music, yeah. you know, and like, like one of the first big gigs that we did um, was uh, an amnesia one at Donington Park. You know, and there's a massive warehouse with over 10,000 people in. Yeah. And you're halfway through a PA and just pinch yourself like everyone in here is dancing to something I've made. Yeah. And it, pff, 
absolutely blows your head. Amazing feeling. You know, and yeah. he's just just seeing that many people, you know, dancing and going off while while you're you're playing. The buzz was incredible. Yeah. But it was so hot in those stupid suits. <laughs> I mean, there's no air conditioning in any clubs back then. Mm. Absolutely boiling. It's a it's a wonder I'm not stick thin. Um, but yeah, and even even now. You know, playing, playing. I try and keep the suit on as long as I possibly can, but it's sometimes it's too much. Yeah, it's got to come off. Yeah, amazing. Um, and yeah, didn't you guys appear on top of the pops as well? Yeah, yeah what was that experience like? Um, surreal. Yeah, to be honest, because watching it as a kid, you know, in the seventies and eighties, and then being told that Activate had gone in the in the charts, um, you know, and that. They give you a midweek chart position. They said, "Oh, it looks like you might be doing top of the pops next week." Just, <laughs> and you, you're trying to you're trying to soak it all in. Mm. Um, it, it's recorded in the same studios as EastEnders, so all the EastEnder casts are walking around. You know, Doc Cotton and Jules and Ricky <laughs> and all that lot were there. You know, the Mitchell brothers were in the cafeteria. It was just everything is just. Pff. And then, of course, you, there's. Like Tina Turner stood on the stage opposite you. Wow. And it, it, you just feel like that small because you're this little kid from Stafford and, and there's this massive world around you. Yeah, I was going to say, can you remember who else was playing on the episode? Um, well, on the first one, well, Rosala was on first. Yeah. Okay. Um, because they have like this, it's like an oblong shaped studio with a stage on each side. So Rosala was on and we were on like the next stage to her. So while she was playing, we were getting ready and they they record or they did record Top of the Pops how it is shown on a Thursday night. So it starts with the introduction, the, the theme tune, then they introduce one act, boom, all the crowd rush to the front of that stage. They do that and while they're doing the intro for the next one or the, the chart rundown, everyone's herded round to the next stage and then it's lights, camera, action, boof, off you go. Oh. And I'm stood there with a pot of Vicks on <laughs> there, um, just twisting these knobs on a drum machine. To, and you know that you do so many rehearsals during the day, you know that a camera is going to be coming towards you at some point, so you can't, you know, show that you're, you're yeah. with it. Yeah, incredible experience. And um Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I always think back to when you guys in were in that era and um, your music videos as well. There was always like a real cheeky personality that would always come through. I remember yeah. like Evaporate. Still to this day, if my digital clock says 808 on it, <laughs> that the noise goes in my yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we got the press kind of like call you certain things. I mean, when we did um, Infiltrate, I said in an interview that it, we got all the best bits of a tune that we wanted. Mm -hmm. I wanted a breakbeat in it. I wanted sub bass. I wanted an acid noise. And they they said, oh, you're making rave by numbers. You're cheapening it 
you know, and it's press always put a, a negative slant on something that you've said or whatever. And we we were called like the cartoon side of rave, mm. but we'd always like you know messed about like I said in the studio. You know, yeah. we got this like massive studio at our disposal and just spent all day doing Frank Bruno impressions. <laughs> And it was, we still did that with the alternate thing, but because we wore suits and you didn't get embarrassed, yeah. you could do like larger than life pranks. And, yeah. you know, we did loads of scams just to feed the press. But we thought, you know, we, we'd act up on this cartoon image, um, especially in the, the videos. I mean, Activate was supposed to be a day in the life kind of thing um, where... It starts off when we buy a tank because yeah. everyone goes out and buys a tank, don't they? <laughs> and then there's a bit where we jump over the video and it goes into the surreal world of Alternate with the robot and us playing violins. And and then Evaporate was another, you know, Alternate are putting on a rave kind of thing. Yeah. And there's 10-foot uh, robots there shooting lasers and, and tanks driving around. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> honestly don't know where the ideas came from. <laughs> So you're fully kind of ensconced in in that rave scene, I suppose, up until. Um, I mean, did you you've released a track, a Slow Motion, yeah. um, Bells of New York, yeah. which is massive piano house anthem. And I say, yeah, it's it's and it's it's pure house music. Yeah. Um, was it a kind of a conscious decision to step away from that rave side of things, or was it you just love all music and you just wanted to create? Well, I mean, I'm, I'd always been into like the house side of things anyway you know got into house and the Detroit techno and acid and all all the rest and then the breakbeat thing you know came in and we kind of got swept up with that and then in 93 um, someone said oh a guy who used to play back in 88 or not seen for a while he's playing in Stafford and he was playing loads of American house like masters at work kind of stuff and it's like wow I've totally missed out on all this kind of thing this is brilliant yeah started buying loads of that kind of stuff and then bumped into to Danny Torres who was working at a a record shop in Stoke and he he got a few bits of kit and was you know doing demos at his house I was like well you know come down we'll work on some stuff together yeah and I'd been doing like a hip-hop bit someone said can you do some hip-hop beats and I'd worked out these beats um, to give to someone, and Danny heard him. He's like, "You don't want to give those away." And then he did like the the whole piano thing mm. around it, and then we had to work out how to how to go from one to another. I mean, we, we've got a, a demo version where he, he, the house bit stops, and then it goes into the hip hop, just straight tempo drop. Yeah, and we thought that's that's too drastic. Had to work out how to do the the slowing down, the speeding up. Took it to network, and no one batted an eyelid when we played it. Oh. But we thought we'd got something, mm. so we said, "Can we promo it ourselves?" So made it look like an American import. Had it shrink wrapped, put American names on it, um, and promoed it from from my bedroom. Oh. Um, and then it 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 was like, I mean, it was in pretty much every dance chart going that year but we missed out on the actual charts it sold enough to get in the top five yeah but the chart it was compiled by either Gallup or had gone from Gallup to someone else or from someone to Gallup and all the dance shops didn't have the barcode scanner so we sold records but they weren't being scanned in so we didn't get a chart position so yeah yeah Miss, missed out a bit with that one yeah but it, it just you know proved that I could do other music you know and work with other people and it it wasn't you know having to rely on the the, the dynamic that was you know me and Chris had we'd done Nexus 21 and Alternate kind of yeah. thing so yeah, yeah and, it was cool. and when you look back on that kind of era um, what are your overriding kind of memories and thoughts like you know you've had with like nexus 21 alternate and slow motion all these different kind of names that you released under different genres as well Mm. what um you know what were the highlights for you for that period i think just being lucky to go to all the different places and and do the things that i've done i mean still now you know gonna play fabric tonight it's just unreal and I, I, I still feel like that. You know, whenever we go anywhere, we'll like stand there. And go, no way, we're in Rome. How mad's this? Because I know there's a, so many people who who don't get a chance. And you know, because I'm doing something that I love doing, and I'm getting this chance 
So so from then you're like all the raves that we played back then, you know, the, like the Donington Parks and things like that, being able to perform at those because they're, you know, even though there is like a revival circuit and there's still raves going on, that's never going to happen again. No. You know, yeah. um, touring Brazil with Moby, you know, playing at the Sound Factory in New York, playing at the Limelight, you know, which it's a clothes shop now. It's not even a, a club. It, just those things, you know, how, how lucky I was. Yeah. So and still am. And um, I suppose I want to talk about um, the boiler room. Yeah. Uh, if we kind of fast the forward. Career to, changer. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you. Were, how did that kind of come about? That set is like it's legendary now, to be honest. Yeah, it's, and I think it kind of brought to the surface as well a lot of people. A lot of people who are into dance music that I know that were never into rave music back mm. then. And I was always the raver guy. Yeah. And they're suddenly reassessing this from your mix. They're reassessing all of these tracks and being like, wow, this is like wall-to-wall bangers. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. It's, talk about how that kind of came about and your involvement. It's weird it. because when I do when I do things, I don't, you don't ever think about, you know, the impact it might have. Like when, when we made records back in the early 90s, we made them for the rave scene, you know, you're purposely making it to be played at a rave and hope it hope it goes down. You don't think about some 11-year-old kid watching Top of the Pops and go, what on earth is this? And it changing his life, you know, and, and pestering the DJ at the school disco, can you play the seven-inch version of Evaporate? You know, it's not something you ever think about until people basically tell me. you. <laughs> yeah, until people tell you years later yeah, and it's yeah. like, whoa. Yeah. And it's this, the same with, with Boiler Room. I thought because all the boiler rooms had been like, you know, upfront music and it was, you know, bang on techno and this and the latest things. And I thought no one's going to want to listen to to me playing. And it was a lone album launch party and, and Lone had, had said he wanted me to play. Yeah. But everyone, apart from Lone, who was, you know, his, his stuff was very influenced by the, the rave scene. Everyone had played techno. Yeah. And it was an incredibly young crowd, and I thought I'm going to go down like an absolute sack here. <laughs> I'm going to play my first tune, and it's just going to ebb off. Yeah. After that, and uh, by the end of my set, it'll be empty. Yeah. Um. And it's a very nervy thing to do anyway. When when the request to come in to do it, I thought no, I shouldn't do this. And Nikki persuaded me to no, this this could be good. Yeah. Standing there with a the camera pointing at you straight away makes you nervous yeah and you can't just when you've finished timing something up stand there you've got to try and look busy mm. you know so all these people who knock you when you're touching this and oh, oh your, your pots are hot are they you're just trying to look busy like you're doing something because if you stood there and put your hands in your pockets yeah. you know turned around had a drink or you've got a camera pointing at you yeah and plus that all the people who were like all the way around you, yeah. you know, and you're getting, you're getting barged into and you can't turn around and, and have a go at someone. There's a camera pointing at you, yeah. you know, it, it's, you've got to be aware of everything that's going on. Yeah. And there was a girl actually for the entire set rubbing my back <laughs> and Nikki just laughed. <laughs> yeah. Someone said, can you see what's going on? She said, yeah, yeah, don't matter. <laughs> And we, he, this girl's ex-boyfriend actually bumped into me in a, a festival last year, and he's like, "This is probably going to sound dead random." But there was a girl rubbing your back on the boiler. No way. Yeah, all the way through. And then there was a bloke who leaned down and tried to start messing with the EQs and stuff. That's when they put a barrier up. Yeah. But so it sounds the, like the most stressful it, DJ experience. Yeah, you know, yeah. on on top of you having to, you know. I can't mess this up. Yeah. But the set was years of playing, you know, sets in old school clubs. And then you'll put two tunes together and it's a bit of a fluky mix. And, uh, oh, that, that broke down and that one started. I remember that one. Yeah. And that set is just a set of fluky mixes over years put together. So... These work. Yeah. And it just, it's one of those, like I said earlier, you can play that set somewhere. And people even now say, 
you know, they'll book me and say, can you play the boiler room set? And I'll play the boiler room set verbatim. And I'll come up at the end of the night. It's really good, but it wasn't the boiler room, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It's all about so context, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it just, some places it just works. Mm. And when I, when I played, you can see it on the video, when I played Expansions, and you could see the crowd, and it's like, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, like giving these tracks to a kind of a new generation are you kind of proud of, of like putting it in their ears well i mean with the old school thing at the start of the revival thing which started in like the late 90s mm. um you just get the people who who went there and then maybe their younger brothers or sisters who couldn't go at the time yeah. but heard the music then you'd get that even younger brothers and sisters who were maybe 10 years younger than the one who couldn't go to raves, yeah. but had been given tapes by their older brothers and sisters and had grown, kind of grown up on the music. So even though there's no way they could have gone to a rave, they know most of the tunes. And now you're getting people who their mum and dad used to go to raves. So all their life they've heard rave tapes and albums played. So it's like the music they've properly grown up to so they know all the tunes they're down the front singing all the lyrics and you're like how on earth you're 18 how do you know this but yeah. they've been they've been brought up yeah. on it yeah. um but also there's people who've never heard it before i mean people come up to nicky and say what is this music he's playing is it is it some kind of like offshoot of breaks yeah no no, no this is like nearly 30 like the invention years of breaks yeah. <laughs> and they've never wow how have i never heard this crazy i've had people come up to me say um this lad here is your your new biggest fan last night he'd never heard of alternate so we thought because he's coming to see you tonight we'll play him some alternate on on youtube We've played him a load of alternate and then there's related videos and he's just got fully stuck in and now he's like, I'm your biggest fan, mate. This stuff's amazing. And it's, you know, it's so nice that yeah. nearly 30 years on, yeah. you can still play tunes in clubs and it'd be relevant now. Yeah. You know, if you look at a rave and you think 30 years before that, you play something from the 1950s that an amnesia do, it's not <laughs> going to go down. No. No, yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's weird, isn't it? So it, 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 I never thought my career was going to last beyond a year, mm. you know, with the suits and everything, never thought. So 30 years later, to still be here, you know, yeah. playing yeah. stuff that I love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And people still responding to yeah. it and enjoying it. I yeah. think, yeah, I think this stuff has kind of that longevity for me. It Because it feels like it was made on the fly. It's a bit like... Ha, you know pushed together in a sense mm, that, uh, like, i mean after stuff's totally out of key you know yeah. it chops from one thing to another because oh, i can't get that to go in key but it sounds all right if you just go from that to that yeah yeah and you know people would kind of no musical training at all you know even if you had musical training you would never dream of doing some of the stuff that people have done mm. yeah it's uh it's got that it real is. kind of vibe it, it, it was like dance music's punk really mm. you know yeah but it, it's nice that it's still about i'm probably going to carry on until people stop dancing yeah and the minute the minute they do that's that's it well yeah i mean you would think that um you know it's like a generational thing like you're just saying you know it'll get to the point where the people who you um the next generation won't be interested in it mm. but you know, they're, they're it, totally... it still keeps finding a way, which is yeah. you know amazing. But the, you know, there's so many of the original DJs, you know, like Slip Mountain, Rat Pack, and Dream Frequency, and Liquid, and they're all still out there, yeah. you know, doing live PAs and DJing and, yeah. and keeping the spirit alive. Yeah, which I is mean, cool. um, if you mentioned Fabric playing there tonight. I mentioned earlier, I went to that Clockwork Orange Day party there, and Slip Mat played in the main room there, and you know, it was new versions of old school tracks mm. but he was probably the best most technical dj on mm. the night i'd say um it was amazing see he he know he knows i always stick to playing originals always yeah always i've done never play like new versions or remixes but he knows he's going to play somewhere where people aren't probably going to get if he just bangs out loads of original stuff but he plays like an updated version yeah. they'll kind of get it yeah yeah, you know, and it and it works. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. So you're you're more strictly in the vein of like no, it has to come from that original <clears throat> era. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 
Stay true to the rules. I mean, you know, we've talked about producing and DJing and hearing your own music and still getting that buzz from it. What what gives you the biggest buzz? Is it still producing or still DJing? Which do you prefer? Or are they just different beasts for you? It's nice when you've made a tune. I think music has been devalued a lot over the years. You know, the, obviously the record labels got incredibly greedy. You know, £14 for a, a piece of plastic. And then when the MP3 came along, and it's changed the way people listen to music. No one values it, you know, like your £1.75 seven-inch single where it's yeah. like, wow, yeah. I've saved up my money and it's, it's just download it. And whereas people now don't even seem to bother download, they just stream it as many times as they want. It's, it's totally different. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still nice hearing something that you've made played out especially when you're not expecting it. I was going to say, where's the most kind of surprising place you've heard, like, um, your own stuff? Well, I, mean, I played at um, Free Rotation a few years ago, and XDB was playing in one of the rooms. And we were just outside the room, and it's like, hold on, that's one of mine. And I'd never heard it played out at all. Wow. I mean, it was, it was a record where there was only 93 copies ever made. <laughs> you know, it was like a strictly limited edition thing. And then he's playing it. And it's wow to hear it, you know, in a club and see the room full of people dancing to it. Again, you know, it's, the buzz is incredible. But also, you know, DJing, you know, seeing everyone. How I, I thought it was going to go down at Boiler Room and how it actually went down. Mm. You know, the, the the satisfaction you get from from that um, and playing at gla- places like Glastonbury and, and stuff like that. You know, I mean. The, 2015 I think there was between 35 and 40,000 people around this one stage and you know you're playing these old old tunes and people singing along and, and Nikki was in the crowd and she said there was people saying right we're, after this one we're going to go for a fight <laughs> okay after the next one they will go and then they ended up staying you yeah. know because you're constantly trying to play banger after banger to keep people there there's so many stages they can go to yeah. you know pick and choose and to keep people around the stage is the, the the aim yeah absolutely and you said earlier as well that it's your first time playing at fabric yeah tonight i mean how are you kind of approaching that what how do you kind of approach a gig especially somewhere that you've not played well, before you, you you never know what the dj before you was going to end on mm-hmm. so you do you like oh, to just hard stop it or try and mix it? It, it all depends. Yeah. I mean, I've I've played after drum and bass DJs where yeah, I can't, you know, tempo wise. Yeah, so you have yeah, to like yeah. stop it or slow it down depending on what the what they're doing, and leave a bit of a gap so people kind of forget the tempo of things and then you can e- ease into it. Um, but if if it's kind of got the vibes built up, you know, tempo wise and style wise, and I can continue that. Then I will do. Yeah. So it all it all depends. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what Shadow Child's going to end on tonight or what I'm going to start with. Um. So it's it's always a suck it and see kind of yeah thing. And yeah. is that like an exhilarating feeling, just going like having real kind it, of no? It's plan. very nervy. I mean, yeah. I, I always get nervous before gigs, especially mm. when I've never played somewhere before. You know, and it's it, fabric as well. Mm. You know, it, uh, no pressure. <laughs> Cool. Um, right, and uh, you've been good enough to provide us the five tunes that I asked you for. Thanks for, yeah, for turning no those around so quickly. Um, what we always do is get our guests to um, pick five tracks that we put in a playlist, and you know, it's they're just based around themes and just kind of recommendations for mm-hmm. from you. Um, and yeah, so I just if we could just talk about each one individually, like your yeah, kind yeah. of experience with them and like why you've chosen those yeah. ones, I suppose. So do you want, um, I've written them down here if you can't remember yeah. what they are. Oh um, yeah, well, I mean, the, the Catalyst, Yeah. Um, I mentioned earlier on, it was, there was a few tunes around at the time, but the, the thing with the, what got you into house music, it, it kind of went further back than house I was into kind of everything until like electro came out and then electro and hip hop even that house was so different you all kind of like funneled into the the same scene yeah. you know and then obviously 
kind of split in like 91, 92, 93. So Buffalo Girls by Malcolm McLaren was was probably the tune out of the, the message and Planet Rock and things like that that really got me into the whole electro thing. And then that was into like electro and then like the soul and funk stuff, SOS band, yeah. things like that. And then when house music first came out, it was... It, you'd hear like the odd one or two tracks played in a whole night where they were playing like soul and funk. So they stood out like an absolute sore thumb. They're like, what on earth is this? Yeah. So it took a while to kind of get into it. But the, I guess the first the first house records that I heard would have been a Marshall Jefferson uh, movie body yeah. and House Nation. Yeah. Those were the, probably the first two house tunes. Yeah. Um, you know, jack your body, all that kind of yeah. stuff. Because there was like there was a lot of kind of tunes with scratching and stuff, like pump up the volume and bomb the bass in the charts. And it was, what, what exactly is house? You know, where where do the boundaries? Yeah, I know it's kind of almost like a hip house movement at one point. Oh yeah, yeah, with like yeah. rap yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah it's, it's just finding its feet, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we always ask for a floor filler. I think the floor the next filler. One. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Jerome Hill's gonna love this. Um, expansions move your body. Um, Such a tune. Yeah, it's it, and it is. If if it doesn't go down, I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, you know that's why I started the boiler room with it. It was like, if this isn't going to go down, then you know, yeah, we may as well turn the camera off, guys. We're we're going. Yeah, it's it's one of the, like there's that and maybe like uh, Outlander Vamp. Mm. You know that's guaranteed. You know, to to work yeah. wherever you play it. Yeah. But it's just, I I can remember the first time I ever heard it in a, in a big warehouse in Nottingham, and it just absolutely tore the roof off the place. Yeah. You know, not and, and whenever I play it now, it still does exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It does. It's just yeah. it's one of those ones that just puts an instant smile on your face. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, the proper feel good. Yeah. Uh, what's the sunset? The sunset. Jones Girls, Night Over Egypt. Mm. Um, I mean, I, that's the kind of music that I listen to at home. Yeah. Anyway, like 80s stuff. Um, but we were in Ibiza a few years ago and it was it was playing was it, uh, near Cafe Mambo, wasn't it? When the sun was going down mm. and it just, you know, that memory's kind of, kind of stuck. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just f- such a fantastic tune. Uh, what about a tearjerker? Tearjerker. I said my dad was like massively into to music. Mm. Um, unfortunately, he passed a, away a few years ago. And there's certain records that he, if if it came on the radio, he'd either go and turn it up himself or shout for someone to turn it up and yeah. do air drums and all the rest. And he he was a, a singer with a local band, so you know he could hold a note. Yeah. So and he this is sad cafe every day hurts. He's one of his favourite tunes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, as long as no one plays it, I'm all right. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's so many tunes that that he used to play that, you know, if, if you put um, like Stevie Wonder or is it Bruce Hornsby in the range? Mm, the way it is, yeah. He loved that tune, you know, and Catch Me on the Wrong Moment and, and I'm off. Yeah, that's what yeah. music does sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But that's that's the power of music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the last tune, yeah, uh, <laughs> Prodigy Out of Space. Is, it's guaranteed, you know. Always, it's such a brilliant tune. Yeah. Um, and one that you know everyone loves to sing along to. Yeah. It. Um, and it, it's it's just a great, great tune to end the set with. Yeah, I saw um, a video of you on uh, YouTube. I think playing like a full-on Prodigy. R.I.P. Keith, like tribute, oh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, difficult. Yeah, I was going to say, did you have much uh, during the eras, the early days, the rave scene? Were you in amongst the same gigs as those guys? Did you get to know them very well? We only ever played the same gig once. Oh, really? So I only briefly met them. Yeah, um, you know, just all right, and that yeah. was it. Yeah, um, it, it tended to be with the the, the groups like Shades of Rhythm would be on. A club like the week before you or whatever yeah so it'd, it'd leave you a note in the dressing room yeah you know so you kind of following people around the circuit so never never really uh, met them and only met 
Leroy probably um, yeah. in, in Tenerife just before Christmas. Yeah, no but, way. But, you know, you, you can't fault the first album at all. It's just yeah, absolute it's, classic. Yeah, I remember getting hold of that and it just being completely blowing my mind. Mm. Yeah, it's such... And all, all of the different mixes of the tunes on that album as well all stand up still yeah. to this day. Yeah, Because yeah. yeah. they did, rather than... Whereas our, our album was all the tracks that we'd done... They got all the tracks that they'd done and brought them up to 92, you know. So, so ours varies in tempo and theirs is like pretty pacey. Really. <laughs> pretty but, pacey. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, the difference between like 1990 and 92 with the DJs constantly pitching stuff up, yeah. people were making stuff faster and faster and faster, you know. And yeah. It's like drum and bass now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and our final question we always ask is... Um, we are house culture. We absolutely live for the love of beats. Um, you have been involved with this scene since its inception, really. <laughs> um, how? how um, what? What does the whole culture of the scene kind of mean to you, and what has it brought to you in your life? Could you kind of sum it all up? It, it, it's almost like a religion, you know. Where the, when they when they said when all the, the early house records came out, it's just a passing fad. You know, and then like same with like hip hop. You know, and like hip hop's like the biggest style of music in in the world. Um, you know, house isn't a fad. It, you get so enveloped in the in the whole scene. You know that everything about it. And I mean, especially it, especially now with the scene being so different to how how it was. You know, with the, with social media and all the rest. You know, there's so much more to it yeah. now. But I'm just I'm just grateful that I'm still part of it you know 30 years down the line and s- still doing it so still filling dance yeah. floors yeah here's to another 30 but I, don't, <laughs> I don't know whether i can last 30 though <laughs> i think that's probably the perfect place to end on that's <laughs> no, brilliant cool thank, thank you, you so much yeah thank you it was a pleasure oh, absolutely house culture top one nice one gets sorted I hope you all enjoyed that one. Mark's had quite the career, hasn't he? Wasn't it fascinating to hear the behind the scenes details of all of the different projects he's been involved with over the years? Thank you very much for sitting down with us, Mr. Archer. I know that the fabric gig he did after this interview went well and that recently he's been really missing playing out to packed dance floors across the globe. Have faith, Mark. We'll be able to get back on a dance floor someday soon. And if you enjoyed that chat and want to hear more about Mark's life, his book called The Man Behind the Mask is an excellent read that not only chronicles his life, but the development of the UK dance music scene as a whole. Also, you heard his chat about his boiler room set, which, if you haven't heard already, is a must-listen, as it contains banger after banger after banger. You will not be disappointed. Unfortunately, it's not on YouTube, but it is out there if you look in the right places. To hear Mark's choices for our playlist, please open up your Spotify player search for house culture perfect playlist and there you'll not only find mark's submissions but choices from every guest we've had on both seasons of the podcast so far there's all kinds of stuff in there covering every facet of house music culture so give it a shuffle and turn it up loud once you're listening to that please help support this podcast by loving liking tweeting sharing and rating or reviewing us on apple please it's really important and does make a difference to get in touch we'd love to hear from you and if you say something nice enough we'll give you a mention on a future episode this time around i'm shouting out to a guy who goes by the name of chappers uk 69 chappers got in touch to tell us that he's loving the podcast let's just finish them all can't wait for the next one they'd love a big shout out to him down in sunny perth consider it done mate hope you enjoyed this episode as much as the previous ones keep listening and tell all your friends if you want to join us at House Culture from wherever you might be in the world, please hit up our Instagram feed at HouseCultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Not only will you be fully informed about the podcast, you'll also get connected with other house music lovers from across the globe. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJMattRouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next time. culture.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.